This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Welcome to each of you as we continue in our journey to rediscover God. And we move now from the story of the Tower of Babel to the call of Abram. And uh, most of the book of Genesis is about Abraham or Abram. And uh, so it's like we've been building up to this point and now we're ready to start this main focus on the father of this great nation. So, Ian, lead us into uh, the beginning. Well, let's go to the text right away. Um, We'll read the first three verses of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Thank you, um, Sasha. So Abraham has to leave his country, his relatives, and his father's family. Um, So why doesn't it just say, leave your country? Why does it say leave your relatives and your, and then narrow it down even further, your father's family? So maybe this indicates the problem um, that uh, these people are too influential in his life, mm-hmm. and he needs to move away from the uh, society, but also from the ex- uh, extended family that he's part of. There could have been uh, an attempt by Abram to just get them all to move with him mm-hmm. and, and resettle in another area. And God is saying, no, just just you. I just want you to come. Yeah. 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 I think that's significant. Uh, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, we're all subject to peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, peer pressure doesn't disappear with pimples. Mm-hmm. You, it, it stays with you in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he needed to escape it. Yeah. So there are five promises made to Abraham. He will become a great nation. Never happened. Yeah, in his lifetime, he didn't see that happening at all. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is astonishing. Um and I, I like to think of the resurrection morning or the first assembly in heaven or maybe on the new earth where God says to him, look at all your children. He will be blessed. Uh, just a reminder, the word blessed means uh, good things will happen to you. I'm projecting good things for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the Hebrew word literally means. 
And that's why every Hebrew child wanted their father's blessing. So he was protected by God from famine and from Pharaoh and Abimelech that we know about. And the five kings he went in pursuit of when they captured Sodom and Gomorrah and his nephew Lot. Uh, so he, he did, in a way, have a charmed life because he got himself in some real scrapes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He will be famous. Well, he is famous. Yeah. The three monotheistic uh, religions all attribute Abraham as their father. Mm -hmm. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And that totals between three and four billion people. It's almost mm -hmm. half the population on the earth. Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he will be a blessing to others. Uh, well, he was to fatherless Lot and the five kings of the valley. And uh, he will bless all families on earth. And that came true primarily through Jesus Christ, who gave us hope for a future of intimacy with God for all eternity. But now, let's personalize it a little bit. And these blessings are not exclusively for Abram, but for all who follow the invitation of God to leave the kingdom of this world and move to the kingdom of God or heaven. So there, there's a moving that every person receives from God to move from where you've grown up into where God wants you to be. It's, it's like we almost all need to take that movement and at times leaving our families behind. It's nice if our families can join us, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah, It becomes a very personal experience. Well, and I'm thinking also in the realm of like healing, healing uh, intergenerational trauma and that idea of coming into, you know, as Jin talks about coming into consciousness uh, about what we feel, think and believe and uh, and and coming into healing. And, and I think that journey metaphorically uh, is really, really powerful than when we get, you know, 100% responsible for our life <laughs> and what that looks like. Um, so I love that you said that. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it's very easy to um, isolate these stories as something that happened in the distant past and past. And oh, wasn't that wonderful for Abraham? And wasn't he obedient? Uh, and so on. And and miss what the real implications are. Right. Yeah. So yeah. let's move on and read verse 4 to 6. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Thank you. You notice that Lot is mentioned twice. Mm -hmm. um, 
in these few verses we've read. So Lot is the son of his brother, his nephew. Uh, his brother, uh, Haran, had died. This is confusing because they, they stayed at Haran. They moved from Ur and went to Haran, and his brother's name is Haran. So, <laughs> uh, you know, talk about the possibility of confusion. Um, no doubt. It's all there. Um, the Oak of Mori is in the hill country. Uh, there's a spine of hills running north-south in Israel. And on the east side, it has the Jordan Valley, which is where the Rift Valley starts. And the Rift Valley runs all the way from Israel down to uh, Malawi in eastern Africa. Hmm. I mean, it's uh, thousands of kilometers long. And you can follow it by air. Uh, it's sort of a, a valley that goes all that way. Hmm. Um, so um, he's, uh, he, he sticks to the hill country. Uh, and he can look to the west and see the Mediterranean Sea, and he can look to the east and he can see the Jordan Valley. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and so uh, he would have traveled down the King's Highway, which is east of the Jordan, on the, the, uh, the desert side. Uh, and the King's Highway came down on that side, the eastern side of the Jordan, and then he would have crossed the Jordan River and gone up into the hill country. So he's halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, just to give you some north-south orientation. Okay. And uh, so we're, he's 75 years old. This is important because Isaac will be born when he's uh, 100 years old. Mm -hmm. Just giving you some. And, uh, Thank you. Ishmael will be born when he's 86 years old. Okay, let's look at seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, there doesn't seem to be any uh, bargaining between God and Abram over this uh, statement by God, uh, like there is later when Abram talks to God about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. There they have a big bargaining session, you know. Will you destroy it for 50 righteous and so on? They get out to 10 eventually. So th there doesn't seem to be any dialogue here at all. Uh, it's just a unilateral or suzerain covenant or promise. This is what I'm going to do for you. Mm. Uh -huh. uh, and this is not uh, strange to us, uh, because when a child is born, I think good parents make a unilateral promise to the child uh, that I'm going to love and care for you all the days of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, did you do that when your children were born? Say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not not in the way that you're saying it, but I think the heart busted right open and I wear my heart on my sleeve ever since. <laughs> so some, some children make it impossible for their parents to fulfill this commitment. Mm -hmm. Like uh, they can move away and leave no forwarding address. 
they can go into rebellion and reject everything that their parents stand for. They can alienate themselves from their parents, even though you know where they live. Uh, you have no um, significant contact with them. So Abraham never owned any land in Israel except the burial plot he bought for Sarah in Hebron. So these, this promise to Abram, Abram only comes true at the resurrection and on the new earth. <clears throat> he has the patience of one saint. Mm -hmm. You know, in the book of Revelation, saints are called to be patient. But this is a, a magnificent example of one very patient saint. Yeah. So he built an altar here. Uh, and he built five altars that are recorded. Uh, one here at the Oak of Moreh, which is really at Shechem. And then one at Bethel, which is further north. And then um, one at Hebron and Beersheba, which is right down in the south. So what do you guys think? Why was he building these altars and, and what would it does it mean? And have you built any altars? And what did you mean by building them? Yeah. I suppose I should ask these questions one at a time. So <laughs> let's start with that one. What do you think it means when Abraham builds an altar? It seems to be a sign of his connection with God, that it's his way of worshiping God, of acknowledging that he's here because God has called him to come here. And and so he's he's honoring his commitment to God. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of it being like standing as witness to that there was a blessing given and saying, you know, this altar is witness to this blessing. And so that all those who come here will know that my dad's a big dad and he loves me. <laughs> He's got my back. Yeah, he's uh, expressing his gratitude to God. And uh, like we're saying, he's also expressing his trust in God. Mm -hmm. And he leaves a memorial to that. Yeah, yeah. And so people will see this altar and they will try and figure out uh, who worshipped who here. Yeah, yeah. So we're on verse 8. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. Uh, the Negev is the southern desert, the barrier between Israel and Egypt. Mm. Uh, and... We've already mentioned this. Abraham kept to the hill country and traversed the range from north to south. So you'll notice here that uh, he worships the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, which is the equivalent of the uh, big word, tetragrammaton. It means these four consonants that constitute the personal name of God. Uh, we don't have the vowels. The uh, Jews stopped repeating 
this uh, name. Uh, once they got the commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So they never pronounced it again. And eventually the pronunciation got lost. And when they came to this name, when they were copying the Bible or reading the Bible, uh, they would pause and wash their hands if they were copying it or if they were reading it. They would say, may the Lord have mercy on me, and they would use the name Adonai uh, rather than the personal name of God. So it indicates the use of that word there that in English is all caps Lord indicates this is a very personal, intimate relationship uh, mm -hmm. between uh, the God is worshipping and Abraham. They mm -hmm. know each other on a first name basis. That's beautiful. Mm. So this personal a personal relationship means that two people actually listen to each other. And authenticity is a major hallmark of their dialogue. Mm -hmm. So uh, just to personalize this a little bit, um, you don't have many people like this in your life. Well, and we were just talking about this last night in the conscious communication class this idea of listening with our whole being and that that is a miracle that if somebody can do that with you to listen with their whole being and that that is something that we don't experience uh, because we always bring our preconceived thoughts and notions about history and all the things into every conversation. But that idea of leaving it be, even with the person that we are most connected with, Instead of just knowing exactly what they're going to say next after the 50th time that there's been an argument about that, <laughs> to actually suspend that and to listen and hear with the whole being. I, I just love that. I'm still um, sort of in the afterglow of that concept. So I love this idea that you're talking about it now. So one of the, the problems of um, living on this planet is that everyone has an insane desire of wanting to tell everybody about themselves. Yeah. And so listening is very difficult because mm -hmm. you're just generally just waiting for a break where you yeah. can step in and tell your story. Yeah. I found in um, the teaching of um, skills to really listen that when people learn to listen it seems every time without fail the person that's being listened to will go really deep deep and share tremendous pain yeah um, that otherwise they wouldn't because they hadn't been listened to to that extent some of the um, practices that one can use to draw people out is uh uh, you really feel quite passionate about that, don't you? Um, I mean, that's a goad to get the other person going <laughs> yeah. deeper or, or tell mm -hmm. me more about that. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you feel when that happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're very good at that, Ian. You, you know, I naturally like to listen to people. So I'm, I'm gifted in that way. We're on verse 10. Now we, we're going to move now uh, 
Abram and Sarai are going to Egypt. And um, this is a very uh, vulnerable story concerning Abram. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. I'm amused at that last statement. He's living as a foreigner in Canaan. <laughs> now he's going down to Egypt to live as a foreigner. He seems to live as a foreigner his whole life. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like on a perpetual camping trip. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the nomad. Look, uh, famine seemed to be a regular occurrence in this part of the world. Isaac will experience a famine in chapter 26. Jacob experienced a famine in chapter 41. And then 2,000 years later, Joseph and Mary will go to Egypt to escape the murderous Herod. Now, Egypt actually becomes a sort of a sanctuary mm -hmm. uh, to God's people that they go there and then of course there were at one time they went there they got enslaved and we had to have the exodus but uh, periodically they'd have to go to egypt uh, for some reason to escape some hunger or threat mm -hmm. against part of them um let's go to verses 11 to 13 as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him, and then we can have her. So please, tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Thank you. Sarah is 65 to 70 years of age. I don't know if you get that. 65 to 70 years of age. And Abraham knows the Egyptians. Yep. The Egyptians will have their eye on her. Uh, this is phenomenal. She's just coming into her prime, Ian. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for telling me. <laughs> uh, well. So... I just uh, idly speculated. I wonder if she was blonde. Um, you know, it's totally out of place. But there was something about this woman that attracted uh, men's eyes. When you're in a country where um, they they they're not they're not blonde, like we we were in um, Beijing in China. And my wife is blonde. And twice while we were there, uh, someone came up to us and asked if they could have their picture taken with her because she was blonde and she was beautiful. And, yeah. and it was like she was a celebrity and they wanted a to have movie her star. taken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was very unusual. So I would imagine she was that kind of a woman. Yeah. Oh, and well you, said, Warren. Well said. Go, Cheryl. <laughs> and so you said, yes, you're welcome to have a picture with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, at first, we didn't know what was happening. They just kind of grabbed her and pulled her away. <laughs> they weren't able to talk to us. And finally, we realized what they wanted. And... Oh, that's awesome. 
So Abraham is telling uh, 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 a half-truth because she is his half-sister. They share terror as their father. But he's not thinking about Sarah's welfare, but his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's simply acting from self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we all feel very superior to Abram and can look down our noses at him. Right? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I always, I, I don't know. I go for the underdog here. I would be scared when you're a foreigner. Come on. He's scared. Yeah. We on verse 14 to 16. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Oh, my Lanta, she must have been drop-dead gorgeous. <laughs> well, of course, this is the land of Cleopatra, you know. Uh, wow. Nefertiti. Uh, so what's Abraham doing here? Is he sacrificing his wife's virtue for his own safety? I mean... Isn't this a great lack of faith? And yet he's called the father of the faithful. And why do we need faith? Why can't we live without faith? What do you think? You know, I, I, I'm i still thinking of what this was like for her. Mm -hmm. To be taken away and wondering what on earth is going to happen to her next. And, and what has my husband done to just leave me to be possibly violated i mean what's 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 she to expect yeah yeah well and when you talk about faith i'm just thinking maybe the idea of faith is so that we don't have to in a sense violate our own uh integrity in this sense like what what it would be like to actually you know i'm just thinking about when uh when they were going into the land to you know kill all the people to say that you know god we was going to give us this land and, and we decided to do this without uh, just having faith in him. It violated their own sense of, you know, justice or whatever it was. And, and, you know, becoming in a sense murderers then in order to have this land. Um, but in this case, like what it would feel like to have trust and know that whatever happened, he would walk with them through it, whatever that looked like. And maybe it would involve them killing him. Uh, but what it would feel like to have that sense of I'm, I'm safe in myself knowing that, I don't know, I'm not saying it well. <laughs> well, you know, if he had really believed what God was saying, obviously, if he was going to make of them a great nation, he needed his, he needed Sarah, she, she would be okay. And he would be okay. This hadn't happened yet. And yeah. so it was hard for him to to trust and believe that that would become a reality. Right, right. Yeah, we forget all that stuff in the moment, in the fear. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say that we do any better than what he did, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So faith is reaching beyond your feeling mm -hmm. uh, at that particular moment. Um, 
because uh, the fight flight uh, reaction is yeah. uh, very powerful in human beings and contributes to their survival. Yeah. Um, so uh, faith means to move beyond uh, what's visible at uh, in any particular moment and base your um, trust on promises that have been made to you overtly or covertly. Yeah. I mean, think about uh, traveling through turbulence in an aircraft. Mm. Um, what, what do you say to yourself at that moment? They've built this plane for this kind of uh, <laughs> uh, experience. We're safe here. Yeah. 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 As far as I know, wings have never fallen off an aeroplane yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we hold to that. The pilot's been through worse turbulence than this. He yeah. isn't screaming and shouting yet. <laughs> Not that we can hear anyway. <laughs> yeah. So actually, faith and love are, are sort of Siamese twins when it comes to relationships. Because mm -hmm. loving a person means you have faith in them. And having faith in a person uh, can lead to love. Doesn't always. I mean, I have faith in the pilot, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have a. Yeah. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but you've got a big problem here. How can the Lord punish Pharaoh for something Abraham did? Hmm. Well, and, and it also happens to be a problem because I don't think that God operates like this anymore. Yes. So I think we're really uh, bringing in uh, circumstance or uh, not prediction versus causation, but we're, we're seeing something that happened that was attributed to, to God that I can't believe is the case anymore. So a way to say that is correlation. Ah, yes. Not equal causation. Yes. You yes. know, these plagues come on Pharaoh, and uh, he doesn't know what's causing it. There are lots of gaps in the story. How long did it take? Yeah, right. Uh, and we have a repeat incident with Abraham and Abimelech in chapter 20. Mm -hmm. And uh, there there's a little different twist to it because... Um, how does Pharaoh find out that the cause of these plagues is uh, that Abraham has lied about who Sarah is? Right. How does that information even come out? Yeah. So is he perhaps feeling a bit guilty about what he's done mm. and attributes it to that, connects it to that, correlates it, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So we, we actually don't know in this story um, how Pharaoh connected the plagues with uh, Abraham. Yeah. We know in the story of Abimelech that Abimelech had a dream. But in this story, the detail isn't included. True. Well, and I'm wondering if maybe in that time uh, and whatever, that anything supernatural must have always been attributed 
uh, to the gods or whatever. Cause I'm even just thinking, I know total aside here, but if you've watched the movie, the gods must be crazy. Uh, you know, the Bushmen believed, you know, when that bottle, that Coke bottle fell from the sky, that the gods sent it to them and, you know, totally assumed it was supernatural. It, it was totally out of the norm and it must have been the gods. Right. And so to think that maybe there's, there's belief always that anything that is happening is either because you've done something good or something bad. Yeah. That's, that's such a good comparison it's just a natural assumption that it's the gods right yeah it's outside of what you are aware of and what you know right mm-hmm. yeah good well that's what we mean by supernatural we're right. attributing it to a power outside of what we know about yeah mm-hmm. yeah so now we're ready for verses 18 to 20 So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country, along with his wife and all his possessions. So this is not a happy ending. Well, and definitely not for Sarai, who clearly has been um, in a in quite an ordeal here. So I'm wondering, how did Pharaoh come to realize that she was his wife? Perhaps Sarai told him. So the upshot of this incident is that Abram has cast his religion and his God in a very poor light, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But God does not cancel the promise to him. Mm-hmm. And from now on, Abraham will be regarded by the surrounding nations as a deceiver. Mm-hmm. Because this story will get around. I mean, this happened to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Abimelech will know about it. Abimelech lives further north on the Mediterranean coast. And... Uh, We'll we'll meet uh, the result of this when uh, Abimelech talks to Abraham and he says to him, uh, you must swear to me that you will not lie to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, good point. Wow. And I think yeah. it's worthy to, to, as you have stated, just to remind ourselves that even though he has... Um, really cast a negative light on God, God still does still holds to the promise that he made with him. He doesn't cast him aside. Yeah, this is what we mean by the faithfulness of God. Yeah. You know, the faithfulness of God does not mean that God lives a long time. <laughs> you know, sometimes we interpret it that way. The faithfulness of God is that he does not give up on us. Yeah. Yeah. And so the greatest, I mean, this is a a good illustration and it's probably the uh, one of the most dramatic examples of the faithfulness of God in the early history of the Israelites. Uh, But the ultimate uh, story of the faithfulness of God is at the cross. 
Mm -hmm. uh, where we, Satan through demon-possessed human beings do their best to get Jesus to say, I can't handle what's going on. Um, I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah. But we could never get Jesus, a.k.a. God, um, to that place where he, he gave up on us. Mm -hmm. And so the cross becomes the symbol of the faithfulness, grace, love, whatever you want, all the adjectives you can use of God is demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the dad who's like, yeah, even even that, I love you. So I also think we need to personalize this and remember that periodically we embarrass God, ourselves and our families, and uh, it doesn't change God's mind about us. Amen. <laughs> he specializes in second chances and on and on. And on and on. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Beautiful. What a promise. Uh, I think we've come to the end of chapter 12. Mm -hmm. That was good. I really enjoyed that. This is your last chance to say anything, Warren? I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll mark that down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray together. Dear God. You're wonderful beyond words. We are so fickle and our feelings betray us often. And you love us, come what may. You made us so you could love us and serve us. And if you've never deviated from your purpose. Mm, amen. You are the ultimate inspiration for us. Mm. We revel in you. Amen. 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 Thank you. You can find the recording of our podcast on our website, uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using. So you can follow along or at least see all the passages. And so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca. And on there, there is the, um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast, as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. 
Um, it's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, we share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life. <music>